This morning, we were talking about this idea of God's wisdom and needing God's wisdom. One of the ways uh, that we find the wisdom of God is by intaking the scripture. We talked about last week some of the ways that that, some of the forms, uh, hearing God's word. Uh, so so we, um, we hear it regularly. Uh, if you remember, um, the, we talked about the fact that we need to consistently hear God's word and make that a discipline. Um, reading it out loud, being in the presence of it being read in church, those kinds of things are beneficial to us. Another thing that we talked about is um, we talked about uh, um, not, not hearing it regularly, but reading it prayerfully, uh, opening up the book and reading it for ourselves, not just allowing somebody else to do it, you know, just put that off on somebody else, but doing it ourselves. We talked about studying it carefully. Uh, uh, we talked a, a little bit, though, though we didn't get into a lot of detail about um, all the different methods and means of studying. Um, we've talked about that in the past, but uh, just basically very carefully seeking to understand what is the scripture saying uh, and what does God mean when he says these words. Uh, and then, and then um, the last one is observing it or, yeah, uh, observing it actively. In other words, watching it play out in real life. And we, we talked about how it's not just enough to have the words on the page. Uh, uh, oftentimes we can see things in life that mirror what the scripture is saying. Uh, in fact, many of the times, the Bible authors have done this for us. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways. You know, They take examples from real life to show, hey, this is the kind of thing we're talking about here. James, in particular, does that all throughout his book. And so as we're going through James, there's constantly these parables. There's constantly these, these uh, stories from nature, these observations of things that happen in the real world that demonstrate the principle that he's getting at. But in our world, those kinds of things are, yeah, those are good things. And when we have time, we do them. Right, But, you know, we don't always have time to do them. This, what we're going to talk about tonight is the discipline of meditation. The thing that makes this hard for us is that there's so much. We're a product of the age in which we live. Um, even more so, um, me growing up with the Internet really coming to such providence prominence in society, uh, uh, Nicole is even more so of that. I mean, you're constantly inundated uh, with this information age, and you're bombarded. Uh, even, even older folks that don't use this as much still see the effects of it. I mean, you, you, y'all know that um, those of you who, who had access to email at work know that it's constantly coming at you. There's constantly new things that are being done. There's constantly uh, uh, changes in protocols or procedures or new systems to have to learn or, or various other things that happen. Uh, sometimes there's new laws. I was in banking, and apparently they've got nothing better to do in portions of the federal government than just make up new laws for banks because there are tons of them and they're constantly changing and sometimes uh, a bank has to do completely the opposite of the thing they've been doing because a new law just suddenly says you can't do that anymore now you have to do this and and so it's easy to become inundated with all of the information with all of the change with all of the the 
the influx nature of our knowledge. It's estimated that within a couple of years, the world's knowledge doubles. Now think about everything we know. Think about how much stuff we know. And then think that in two years, we're going to know twice as much. That's an incredible amount of information to be accruing. But even more than that, um, I I read it, and, and this was several years ago, so by now it's probably well past that point, that the average uh, uh, daily newspaper, take, take the New York Times, has more information in it than Jonathan Edwards would have seen in his entire lifetime. One day paper. We are constantly bombarded with information. Not only that, we're also in a society that is driven by results like we talked a little bit about earlier. And so there's no time to really stop. There's no time to reflect. There's no time to meditate because there's too much to do. You think about all the things that we have that are supposedly to make life easier. And in the end, you you find out that just upkeeping those things And just getting those things working and keeping those things working and keeping up with all of the extra jobs that come about having those things is just as much work as it would have been without it in the first place. When when women used washboards, we didn't have very many clothes per person, right? Because mama didn't want to wash all those clothes, right? Now... In my house, at least, if we don't do two loads of laundry in a single day, we're way behind. We have to do three, four, five loads some days, not to catch up, but to get less behind. We have a problem of having so much readily available to us and not reflecting on anything. How many of you have more than one Bible in your house? I want to take a I'm going to cheat here. I have 297 on my computer without going online. Yeah. That's a lot of Bibles. Now, granted, some of, some of them are um, a little different than others. Um, I've, got some, I've got some Greek Bibles and some Hebrew Bibles, okay, um, that I try to read, but not very good at it, but I still try anyway. I've got... For some reason, I've got a French Bible or two in there, a German Bible. I'm not quite sure why I have them. I just, I guess just buying other things that came packaged in or whatever. We don't stop. We don't take our time. We don't listen. We don't mull and reflect as much as we should. Now, I know, raise my hand because I are one. I'm busy. I'm too busy. This is one of those disciplines that, you know, I I tell y'all sometimes that it hits me between the eyes before it gets to y'all. And this is one that hits me between the eyes because I'm too busy. I'll just, I'll flat out tell you, I do too much. And I don't, I don't do this as much as I need to. We need to stop sometimes and we need to reflect on what God has said. We need to slow down and take our time. Sometimes it's not even just what God said. Just reflecting on uh, what he does Psalm 77 verse 12 says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Go outside, spend an hour looking at a tree or a flower or a beetle. Spend time reflecting on the God who made that. 
the intricate detail, the the way that their the body or or the 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 tree is a complex system that everything works in tandem. It's quite amazing. Take some time to reflect on God's work. When we think of meditation, we often get confused because uh, there's this normal idea of meditation that's out there. Some Eastern religions have this idea of meditation that you empty yourself, like you completely empty your mind. You might even empty yourself of yourself, like completely be unconscious of you. You lose your individuality. Uh, um, some Eastern religions have this idea of a nirvana or this cosmic mind or, or some sort of, of a state of being in which you completely lose yourself in that. And that is considered the goal. That is considered uh, um, not necessarily heaven like we would think of it, but a heaven type of concept. That, that, that the thing that you should be striving for is to completely be immersed in whatever this essence, this life force, whatever it might be called is. Then there's the secular idea of meditation. You clear your mind of all the junk and then you could get productive, right? You take some time to, to clear out all the clutter and the distractions so that, so that you can really focus on the task at hand. But both of those are not what Christian meditation is. Christian meditation isn't about emptying your mind. It's about filling your mind. Now, you might have to empty some stuff out to make room for the stuff you're putting in. But Christian meditation is about filling your mind with God. Filling your mind with awareness of his presence. Filling your mind with his scripture. And all for the sake of godliness. Joshua 1.8 demonstrates this. This book of the law, God through his angel is talking to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. What he tells Joshua is, hey, the laws that I'm giving you, the laws that I've just given you, the laws that I gave to Moses on top of the mountain, and the things that I'm about to tell you, the instructions I'm about to give you, don't just know them, constantly speak of them. Meditate on them. Keep them ever before you. That Then you'll be successful. Now, is it just... I say these magic words and, and it's like a, a magic spell and God just makes things happen because, well, I said the right spell the right way. I did the right incantation and so God has to respond. No, no, it's really, if you really want to get down to it, this idea of meditation, well, it comes down to changing us, doesn't it? Philippians, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, put the right stuff in. I'm reminded of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be 
like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and the leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he makes to prosper. If Bible intake is a short afternoon spring rain, if Bible study is a long, deep shower, Bible meditation is planting the tree right on the edge of the river so that it constantly is soaking up the water of the word, constantly bringing it in to its root system, constantly bringing in that life-giving water. That's the idea of meditation. So, practical tips. How do we do this? Well, first of all, we've got to actually do it. But when we do it, a couple things to keep in mind. First, we may not always be concentrating directly on the Scripture, but all of our meditations should at least be grounded in Scripture. So uh, the Scripture talks about meditating on God's works, talks about meditating on God's character. It talks about meditating on God's creation as a whole and on, on the contents of it. It talks about meditating on the Scripture. Whether Whatever of those things we're meditating on, everything that we're doing is is grounded in Scripture. How do we know the character of God? Through His Word. How do we know His works? His Word. How can we avoid that, that, that pantheism that sees God in everything in nature? Or that sees everything as a God? Or that panentheism that sees God in every aspect of the natural world? How do we avoid those errors? Well, we ground it in Scripture. We always ground what we are meditating on on the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always focused directly on God's Word, but everything we focus on, we are filtering through the lens of what God has said, what God has done, who God is. And that we find right here in the book. So we always are grounded on Scripture. This can, if you're not careful, meditation can be very... Subjective. Let's put it that way. I think that's a fair word. So we bring to it the objective standard of God's word to keep us in line. Another thing. It's really kind of a natural outgrowth of Bible intake anyway. So use it with Bible intake. You're reading. You come across something that, that grabs your attention. You hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, you need to stop here for a little bit. That's the time to meditate. Perhaps you find that there's, uh, uh, perhaps you find that if you're spending time in the Word of God and you spend 15 minutes, you're not going to be able to meditate. That's not long enough. But maybe you've got 15 minutes right now, you got a little time later, write down something. Make a note of it and come back later to it. But take the time and, and connect it with what you're reading. You got, you got, um, you do a daily devotion, you read a certain passage, and maybe you're reading in a book uh, uh, some thoughts about that. It'll take some time to mull the Scripture over in your mind over and over and over again and just see what, see what God says to you. You know that, that devotional book? That's probably how that came about. And he might have thought of some good stuff when he wrote it. She may have, she may have really hit the nail on the head on certain parts of it, but God is speaking something a little different to you. Give him time to say it. Another tip. 
Don't be afraid to meditate on something that you know you need. Somebody, uh, Dawson Trotman was the founder of the Navigators. When he was first saved, he was a truck driver. And so he said, you know, uh, I'm a truck driver. I don't have all day to read God's word, but I'm going to try to memorize one verse a day and take it with me as I go. Okay. And so the first year he had memorized over 300 verses of the Bible. He did this for years and years. Well, someday, one day someone came up to me, to him and, and said, and said, you know, I'd love to do what you're doing with this, but I'm afraid I might get too proud. Dawson said, well, then make your first 10 days on humility. <laughs> Find verses that'll keep you humble. If there's something going on in your life, look up scripture that speaks to it. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's, that might be God saying, hey, you really need some help with this. Don't be afraid to connect it to your situation. You need to know just how good God is. Watch him provide for that bird sitting in that tree. You need to know how to have faith in a troublesome situation. There's numerous Bible stories of people in trouble that learn faith the hard way. You, you need to know how to love somebody that's, well, gosh darn unlovable. Reflect on the cross and realize that, that that was you that was unlovable, that he loved anyway. You see, you see my point here? Let, let, it's okay if you spend time meditating on things that you need. Don't be afraid to make the connection. Another thing, this is kind of an interesting one. Use your imagination. Picture it. You're at the scene where the woman is desperately trying to get to Jesus. She's got an issue of blood and she's been years and years and years trying to get it fixed. All the doctors can't fix it. Nobody can do anything about it. Finally, she, she gets as close to Jesus as she can and she touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. I, I used to have this picture of this woman walking up to Jesus, like being real close and just bare, like, like, like pinching the end of the garment. Just like that. I don't think that was it at all. I think her arm is as far as she can reach. Put yourself in the story. Feel the, the feel of the hymn on, on the tip of your finger. Feel the sun beating down. Hear the noise of the crowd around talking. Feel yourself pushing through to try to get to him. Being knocked over by some. Desperately trying to get to Jesus. Imagine the tenor of his voice in your ears. Smell the smells. Now, some, some Bible stories, you may not want to smell the smells. I get that. But do it anyway. Put yourself there. Use your imagination. I think it was Teresa of Avila that said that uh, she, couldn't, she couldn't contemplate Christ, so she just had to try to picture him because it was the only way she could really concentrate on him. That's a paraphrase, but... And she was, she was one of the experts of this. She's, she's one of the folks you read when you want to learn how to meditate. <laughs> and she's saying, I, I, I couldn't do it except through my imagination. Use your imagination. Now, informed by Scripture, but fill in some of those details. This is where Bible study helps with meditation. Because as you study your Scripture and as you, as you learn about the context of what's going on in that day and, and how people ate at tables you know, that were kind of on the ground and laying on blankets, you can picture yourself there a little bit easier, can't you? 
When you learn the details and you, and you put yourself in the first century mindset, how they looked at the world and, and the things that they thought were important, you can kind of get yourself closer to the action. But don't just, don't just be the bystander who's watching it all happen. Be the woman reaching for his garment. Put yourself in her shoes. Maybe one day you're a prodigal. Maybe the next day you're the Pharisee praying, thanks, thank you God that I'm not like all those other folks. Maybe one day you're one of the angels praising God in the heavens as he is pouring out his wrath on earth. Maybe, maybe one day you're a 90-year-old woman who's just been told she's going to have a child. I guess 89-year-old woman at that point. Put yourself in these people's shoes. Use your imagination. One more tip. Memorize scripture. It might seem like meditation is this otherworldly sort of out there sort of experience. But in reality, all it is, is is trying to drive the scripture deep into your heart. And it's so much easier to do that when it's already internalized. So memorize. Then it doesn't matter if you got a Bible with you. You can have 297 of them on your computer or you can have zero around. You know why Paul and Silas are singing praises to God in the jail? It's not because they had a psalm book. It's because they had learned they had learned and experienced God firsthand so much that it was the scripture was so internalized in them they didn't need a hymn book to sing his praise. Memorize it. Drive it deep in. A way you might do that is to repeat it over and over and over again. Maybe each time you put a, a, a different stress. We're going to do one in just a second. I'm going to kind of I'm going to show you this out loud in just a moment. Because we're going to look at a passage and we're going to take some time to, to reflect on it. Hopefully by the end of the day, we'll, we'll have it memorized. Um, just from doing this exercise. In fact, let's do it. Let's go ahead and do it. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John 11. Those of you who are at home, you can do this too. Go, turn to John chapter 11 in your Bibles. This is something that you can do... Uh, anywhere, but it works best probably in a quiet place. Some people recommend that you have a good view of nature. That's up to you. You might find that distracting. You might find that um, peaceful, calming. Either way. John chapter 11, verse 25. Set the scene here. They're at the uh, graveside of Lazarus. He has died and has been buried. His sisters are mourning him. It is now the fourth day. And when Jesus comes up, Martha sees him coming and runs to him. And she, she tells him, you know, if you'd been here, uh, he wouldn't have died. And then she says, but I know whatever you ask of God, he'll do. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Like she missed it. She went totally, totally uh, ethereal when Jesus was actually telling her what he's about to do. Hey, your brother's going to rise again. And she's like, I know that one day. She takes it and over-spiritualizes it. And then Jesus says this in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? 
So what we're going to do is we're going to concentrate on that. Just, just that sentence of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. So we're concentrating on scripture, so we're grounding it in scripture. We've kind of looked at the scene, so we kind of caught up in it. So take a few minutes. Let's take just a couple minutes, and let's picture the scene first. To maybe help you, most graves in that day were not these big caves that you could walk in standing up. They were small. In fact, they were about this high off the ground. And uh, to get in, you'd basically have to get on your knees and crawl. There'd be, in, once you got inside, it would kind of step down. So it'd be a little more comfortable to stand in. But you'd kind of step into the tomb. And there would be a couple of areas. There would be some, some holes in the wall for bodies to lay in. Put a body in one of those places and it decomposes until, until you just have thumbs up. And then there'd be places on the wall, like little nooks cut in, to hold the bones once the bodies had decomposed. You would move the body from there into, maybe you had some kind of urn or something to keep it. I don't know, maybe they had tough work in there, I don't know. It's something. But there would be a place to put it in there. And that, that's, so that's the inside of the tomb. You step out of the tomb. Of course, you've got to like crawl back out. And so you come back out of the tomb. Um, there's, in some cases, it would be open. In some cases, it would close off some kind of way. There would be some sort of stone there um, to block the entrance. Or some kind of natural, there'd be some kind of natural way of, of keeping critters out and that kind of thing. It's basically the idea. The, so put yourself there. Get that scene in your head. Just for a second. Just imagine what it looks like, okay? Do that now. Do you hear the noise of people talking? Look at some of the faces. What do you see? Use your imagination. There's probably some food in the other room that people have brought to bring comfort to the family. Can, can you smell the aroma of the bread? A little bit of fragrant oil to make the house smell better for guests. We don't know what time of year this was. I think it was hot or cold. Maybe it was raining. Or maybe it was just overcast, gloomy. Perhaps it was bright, not a cloud in the sky. What do you, what do you think? Picture it. Now there's a group coming down the road. You see them a little bit off. They're close enough you can tell that one of them is Jesus. Is it Martha that sees him first? Or is it someone else that says to Martha, Hey, here comes Jesus. What does she look like? Is she sobbing? Is she trying to put on a bright face? Picture Martha. Better yet, put yourself in Martha's shoes. What? Would you be sobbing? Holding back the tears? Would you be busy thinking of what all needs to be done, maybe, of all the final arrangements that still need to be made, what's going to happen now. Hear those words off of Jesus' lips. Let's concentrate on the words he says. Your brother will rise again, but you already know that. You already know he's going to rise in the last day, but then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you hear the words? Do you hear how 
how there's that tinge of authority, but it's somehow peaceful. It's not, it's not like a command, but it almost is. Maybe, maybe Jesus put the emphasis on a different word. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you think maybe he's saying it's not a future, it's a present reality? Maybe he's not pointing her to the present of it. Maybe he's pointing her to the particularness of it. I am the resurrection and the life. Maybe maybe resurrection is where he puts the stress. I am the resurrection and the life. What's he saying to her? What's going on in her head? Maybe he's stressing not just the resurrection, but both. I am the resurrection and the life. Maybe the resurrection is just the first step, but he really wants to stress the life. I am the resurrection and the life. What is it that Martha needs to know? What is, what is it that he is telling her? Think Imagine. Now let's let the scene fade away and instead of being at the graveside of Lazarus, let's let's bring you back into the church building. Let's bring you back into the chair or the pew or the, the place where you are right now. Put yourself in the middle of your circumstance. See yourself dealing with situations that you have to deal with today. And tomorrow, when Jesus utters these words, I am the resurrection and the life, what is he telling you? What's he bringing to your mind? What area do you need those words? Father, your son told us that he is the resurrection and the life. We need that resurrection. We need that life. Apply those words to our hearts. Help us to see where we can apply them in our lives. Help us to know that your son is what we need, whatever the situation may be. Help us to bring that life to life for your honor and your glory and for our godliness. We ask these things in your name. Amen.